Hey guys, and welcome back to episode 19 of the Mysterious Benedict Society Read Aloud Podcast Book 3. Today we'll be reading chapter 19, but first a recap of chapter 18. And guys, this is a really short summary, and that's just because we had a really short chapter. The children made a plan and escaped their room by tricking crawlings, although now Constance is feeling very sick from helping with her mind. The children were caught on purpose by Mr. Curtin, so they could help Mr. Benedict get through the gate. Soon after, Mr. Curtin realized what was going on and left the room. Milligan came to the children's rescue at last, and he told them things were about to get quite dangerous. Okay, that's the end of the summary. Enjoy the episode! Chapter 19 The Courtyard Conflicts Milligan intended to take them out through the prison gate, but not until it was safer. At the moment, he said, a battle was raging there between the sentries Hardy and Gristle, and at least two ten men, possibly more. It depends on how many McCracken dispatched to come after me, he said with a wiry smile. I guess we'll soon find out his opinion of my skills. Leaning out the doorway, Milligan looked both ways, sniffed the air, then motioned for them to follow him. The children, herding out into the long corridor, where Milligan, having made some private decision, began walking in the wrecked opposite to the elevator. Where are we going? Kate whispered as they followed after him. Away from that room, Milligan replied. The ten men will have heard me on the radio telling you to stay put, and by now Mr. Kern has informed them where we were, so that's where they'll start their search. We don't want to make it easy on them, do we? What about Mr. Benedict and the others? Rennie asked, glanced apprehensively over his shoulder. Where are they? Still in the van. Mr. Benedict fell asleep when the battle started. Don't worry, he and the others are disguised as sentries, so the ten men probably won't risk a direct assault on the van. And I have twenty more sentries on the way. With luck, Hardy and Gristle can hold their own for a while, especially if most of the other ten men are looking for me. You mean us, Dickie gasped. He was suddenly having difficulty breathing. There was so much empty corridor behind them and so many doors on either side. He hardly knew where to look. We're with you. That's true, Milligan admitted, leading them around a corner into the next long corridor. But we'll stay on the move, and since they'll have to spread out to search for us, I should be able to deal with one of them at a... He stopped, cocking his head to side to side as if he noticed something amiss. Rennie, following his gaze, saw a door ahead that was very slightly ajar. Milligan glanced at Constance, who had just lifted her head from Kate's shoulder with a look of confused suspicion. Her eyes were glassy and heavy-lidded, and her chin was shining with drool, but her nose was wrinkled with distaste. Hold on a second, Milligan said, my shoe's untied. Sticky instinctively looked down at Milligan's boots, which appeared to be highly laced. It was hard to get a good look, however, for Milligan was moving swiftly toward the door, and the next instant had kicked it open and disappeared into the room. There was a shout, a thump, and oddly, a thin twanging sound like a broken ukulele. And then Milligan reappeared carrying a briefcase. That was Garrett, Milligan said, closing the door softly behind him. He sends his regards. Rennie needed a minute before he could hear Milligan over the sound of blood roaring in his ears. When it had subsided a bit, he interrupted Milligan and asked him to repeat himself. Milligan started over. Their plan, he said, would be to make a circuit through the building's four wings, each of which would have four corridors that formed a rectangle. We'll work our way along the sides of each rectangle, do you see? Then we'll move on to the next wing and do the same thing. It's best not to backtrack. If ten men get on your trail, they inevitably doubled up. Can't we hide in there? Rennie suggested, gesturing toward the door Milligan had just closed. If Garrett's already down, wouldn't it be safer? Milligan shook his head. The ten men make regular reports by radio. When Garrett doesn't call in, they'll come running to this spot in full force. But how would they know to come here? asked Sticky, who, like Rennie, much preferred the idea of holding up and waiting for reinforcements. Their radios are equipped with tracking devices, Milligan said, which, incidentally, is why I'm not using Garrett's. He put his hands on the boy's shoulders. 
Listen, I know it would probably be better to hide, but in this case, the safest thing is to keep moving. Just concentrate on the plan, and we'll be out of here before you know it. Are you ready, Kate? Sure, but will you just move Constance's head to my other shoulder? Kate said, wincing. Her chin is starting to dig into my... Okay, that's better. Ready? With Milligan in the lead and Kate hard on his heels, the group continued down the corridor. The boys trailed some paces behind, looking constantly about and trying hard to focus on the plan. Rectangles, Sticky whispered to himself. Rectangles, rectangles, rectangles. It was, of course, a very basic plan, hardly worth explaining, and Rennie felt sure Milligan had done so just to give them something less scary to think about. It probably did keep them both a little calmer, but Rennie still couldn't help anxiously wondering how many more doorways might conceal ten men, and Sticky kept reaching up and briefly, lightly touching his spectacles as if to reassure himself that they were still there. Halfway down the corridor, they passed a second set of double doors that opened into the building's interior courtyard. Through windows in the doors, they caught a glimpse of the desk that had tied crawlings to, now a brow of broken wood and metal, with a frayed length of Kate's rope, still attached to one leg. Kate and the other boys exchanged glances. Under the circumstances, it was hard to feel more than the flicker of pride having set such a good trap. They did, at least, feel flicker, and it bolstered their courage as they stalked on. At the next corner, Milligan bade them to stop. He sniffed the air, frowned. McCracken, he muttered. Him I'd rather avoid. We'd better turn around. I thought we shouldn't backtrack, Kate whispered. We'll cut across the courtyard to a different wing, Milligan said. When the time comes to face McCracken, I don't want you anywhere near. I agree with Milligan, Sticky whispered. Milligan winked at him and quickly ushered the children back to the double doors. Nostrils flaring, he stared out through the windows in the doors for several seconds before nodding and leading them into the courtyard. Out in the open air, they could hear more distinctly the faraway sounds of conflict. Screeches, bangs, and mysterious squawking noises reverberating off the distant walls. The sounds were unnerving, and Rennie cringed at every one. But at least they proved the Tinman hadn't won yet. He told himself as they hurried past the smashed jumble of desks. Science might be more disturbed him even more. Rennie was about to ask Milligan how long it would take the other sentries to arrive when a door on the opposite wing burst open, the very door they'd been heading for. And madly grinning sharp leaped into the courtyard, both hands bristling with clusters of pencils. His every nerve jangling with alarm, Rennie was still drawing every breath to cry out when he found himself tossed to the ground on the far side of the broken desk. A half-second later, Sticky crashed on top of him, and as they desperately distangled themselves, they discovered Kate had already crashed beside them, and Constance huddled at her feet. With hearts in their throats, they peeked over the top of the desk. The air positively swarmed with pencils. They were everywhere, a deadly horizontal rain. Indeed, as Milligan deflected them with Garrett's briefcase, they made a rattling sound not very different from that of rain on a tin roof. And then the storm was over, and Milligan was still on his feet, although he had been forced to retreat several paces under the onslaught. Sharp regarded him caughtily, no doubt expecting a return salvo of tranquilizer darts. Like Milligan, he was crouching and holding his briefcase before him like a shield. When no darts appeared, however, Sharp strained, smiled, and casually adjusted his spectacles. As if he had all the time in the world, he reached into his briefcase again. Milligan whipped something from inside his jacket and flung it hard across the courtyard. Sharp saw the sudden movement and looked up, ready to shield himself. But whatever Milligan had thrown sailed off far to the right, a brown blur that missed him by at least twenty feet. Sharp hooted with delight as he reached into his briefcase again. You're losing your touch, Milligan. What was that anyway? Some kind of stick? You could call it that, Milligan said, just as the boomerang, having arced around the rear of the courtyard, coiled back with the back of Sharp's head. Sharp fell on his face. The children jumped to their feet, cheering, but it wasn't over yet. Sharp would pop right back up again, so fast it was as if he had rebounded into a standing position. His spectacles had been knocked off, his nose was bleeding from his fall, and he was wobbling unsteadily, utterly disoriented by the blow. But in his hand was a laser pointer, and he was aiming it at Milligan. 
Everyone froze. Sharp's eyes wandered away from him again in a dazed, addled way, then wandered back again. With his empty hand, he touched his bloody nose and winced, then frowned at the blood on his fingertips. He seemed to have no idea what had happened or where he was. When he saw Milligan's knees bend ever so slightly and knew that he was gathering himself for a spring, he had an awful lot of ground to cover, though, and Rennie's heart was hammering in fearful anticipation when, much to his amazement, Sticky cleared his throat and said, Um, excuse me. All eyes swiveled to focus on Sticky, including Sharps. Trembling with fright, Sticky nonetheless smiled in a friendly, helpful way, and then, moving slowly, he drew his polishing cloth from his shirt pocket and held it to his nose. Then he gestured toward the handkerchief poking out of Sharp's breast pocket and nodded encouragingly, saying in a small voice, You, you have one, right there. You can use to, um, stop the bleeding. The confused ten men frowned again and looked down at his breast pocket. Seeing the handkerchief, he brightened with comprehension, a very muddled comprehension, and tugged it out and had it to his broadly nose. This time, he fell on his back. That was amazing, Rennie said, throwing his arms around Sticky, and Kate, not to be left out, threw his arms around both of them. You better let go before I collapse, Sticky wheezed, but he was grinning ear to ear. Nice work, Milligan said, tucking his boomerang back inside his jacket. Now let's move. I'm afraid your cheers may have drawn attention. Not that I didn't appreciate them. Kate and Rennie let go of Sticky, upon which his knees wobbled a bit and his grin began to fade. The reality of what he'd done was just beginning to sink in, and the effect was like blood rushing violently to his head. He staggered to the side, and Kate shot him out a hand to steady him. Um, Milligan, Sticky said in a tremulous voice, are you absolutely sure we can't just hide somewhere until the other sentries arrive? Surely there's some place, right? Sorry, I just don't know how much more of this. He trailed off looking embarrassed. Milligan regarded him seriously. No, he said after a moment. I'm the one who should be sorry. You've been so brave, all of you have. I forget what a toll this must be taking on you. But I'm afraid we'll be tracked down and surrounded if we attempt to hide. I really am sorry, Sticky. You know I'd bustle you out the gate this instant if I could, but I simply can't risk getting you so close to that fight, not without knowing how it's going first. Milligan, what if we went over the roof, Rennie suggested. From up there we can see everything without getting in harm's way. Hey, that's true, Kate said. We know where the elevator is, Milligan. Sixty feet from the room where I found you, Milligan said. I remember. He shaded his eyes and looked up toward the roof. Well, I suppose we could cut through an adjoining wing, come up at the elevator from the other direction. He glanced sidelong at Sticky, whose face had lit up with an expression of intense hopefulness. All right, that's not a bad idea. We'll go to the roof. I can see how Hardy and Gristle are faring, and if there is a clear path, we'll make for a break for the gate. How's that? Great, Sticky said, and Kate and Rennie nodded. Well, it looks too dangerous, though, Milligan warned. We'll just have to come back down and keep moving. He stopped to lift Constance, who was lying limp on the ground, and set her gently onto Kate's back again. We can't dwaddle up there, and we might get trapped, agreed? The children, who did rather prefer not to get trapped, agreed. And so the group of fugitives made their way to the elevator, taking the route that Milligan had settled on. More than once they caught a whiff of expensive cologne, and each time Milligan would stiffen in Nero's eyes, and the children's hairs would stand on end. But they encountered no more tinmen, and as the children crowded into the elevator with Milligan, and felt themselves begin to rise, they felt their hopes begin to rise too. Then the elevator doors opened onto the roof, and the first thing they saw was McCracken. Stay in the elevator, Milligan said, needlessly throwing out his arm to keep them back. Beyond them, he could see Milligan engaged in ferocious struggle with two other powerful figures, who was striving to keep his arm pinned. Mucho, Kate cried. Miss Plug, cried the boys. Milligan hesitated in the elevator doorway, gritting his teeth. He could not leave the children unprotected, but neither could he just walk away. Mutual Brazos and Miss Plug, strong and determined though they might be, were no match for the immensely powerful and treacherous McCracken. 
Their faces were strained and glistening with perspiration. Indeed, Miss Fluggs was apple-red, whereas McCracken, however temporarily inconvened, had not even mused his feather-brown hair. Already he was breaking free of their grip and grinning with ex- expectation. He looked over to the children and laughed. Apparently, Volwell had the same idea, McCracken called. The roof's getting too much crowded, don't you think? Milligan was trying to think of what to do when he found himself shoved hard from behind. Stumbling forward, he caught his balance and spun to see the elevator door sliding closed. I made it easy for you, Kate called, her tone bright and eager, though her face was clouded with worry. We'll be fine. I'll go get him, Milligan. Then the doors were closed, and Kate let out a cry of anguish and covered her face. You were right to do it, Rennie said after a silence. He was in an impossible situation. We couldn't just leave them. There was no telling what McCracken would do to them. Yes, but what about Milligan, Kate cried. His tranquilizer gun is jammed, and, and oh, what have I done? Milligan can take care of himself, Sticky said, trying to sound convincing. The question is, what do we do now? Should we, should we hide or keep moving? But Kate could think of nothing except Milligan now. When the doors opened, she leaped from the elevator, Constance bobbling wildly on her back. Heedless of the route, entirely forgetting the possibility of running into another tin man, Kate dashed down the corridor to the nearest double doors and burst out into the courtyard again. There she ran back and forth, craning her neck, as she tried to see what was happening on the roof. Twice she almost stumbled over Sharp's motionless body, but she paid him no mind whatsoever. "'Kate, you shouldn't be out here. It's too exposed,' said Rennie, when he and Sticky had caught up to her. Kate only shook her head and continued to run back and forth, staring at the rooftop and grimacing with worry. "'What if Sharp wakes up?' Sticky said. "'We won't want to be here if that happens, Kate.' Kate glanced at the ten men, nodded, and putting Constance down, she rapidly bound Sharp's ankles and wrists with the fishing twine from her bucket. For good measure, she rubbed her nose with the handkerchief again, then stood and backed away, squinting up toward the roof. It was all she could do not to hurry back up there and try to help, but her presence would only distract Milligan, and she knew it. "'Oh, but I can't bear to see how I her doing nothing!' Kate cried aloud. She jumped up and down, staring and staring. Constance laid her head on the ground and moaned. The boys began whispering urgently, trying to decide what to do. It seemed just as dangerous to go anywhere without Milligan as it was to stand here and wait, hope, for his return. They still could hear the distant skirmishes from somewhere out beyond the building, and who knew what Mr. Curtin was now, and where was the whisperer? What if he'd moved it to a window or guard tower, for which he could peer down and focus on anyone he chose? At the moment, any one place seemed as potentially dangerous as any other, except for the roof, where they knew things were bad. "'I see Madge,' Kate said almost absently. The boys looked up to see the falcon's familiar shape circling high above the roof. "'She must have seemingly getting into the van of all it here. "'Oh, Madge, I wish I could see what you were, could see right now.' She was reaching into her bucket for the whistle, with a whirling brown blur streaked out from the edge of the roof, arced and streaked back out of view. Milligan's boomerang, Sticky said, his voice tinged with hope. But almost immediately, the boomerang sailed out again, its arc much slower this time, and on its return trip, it smacked against the edge of the roof and dropped down to the courtyard. It spun erratically and listlessly as it fell, clucking against the wall like a weird wooden bird. The children staring at it lying dead in the grass, the huge crack in it visible even from several paces away. Kate turned and looked pleadingly at the boys. It's up to you, Rennie said for a hard pause. I really don't know what's best. Remember Constance, though, says Sticky in a low voice. Rennie and I are too slow for carrying her, and we need you to do that. We... He trailed off feeling guilty and helpless. There was Constance to think about, of course, but there were also her friends. And Kate's father. Oh, the roof. Listen, just do what you think is right and we'll support it. Kate's lips were pressed together and her anguished eyes were fixed on the roof again, but she acknowledged his words with a tight nod. Two minutes then, she said. Give me two minutes, and no matter what, I'll come back to carry Constance. Go, said the boys, and Kate went. Mm-hmm.